0: to hear my conversation with Leslie Marks, our co-CIO of equities. She talks all about what's driving the markets most recently. We also talk about yields and how they impact markets and what you can expect from equities going forward. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to be back with Leslie Marks, our CIO of Equities. Leslie, welcome back to the podcast. Great to be here once again, Matt. I thought that we uh, would start things with talking about yields. Uh, yields have uh, certainly been moving around quite a bit lately. I guess the short question is, can they continue to go up from here? Well, certainly uh, I would agree this is a great place to start. I mean, yields have
1: been the story for markets, whether you are an equity investor, a fixed income investor, a currency investor. You cannot ignore um, what we are seeing here in the bond market and, um, you know, I, I'd say the, the the problem right now is that there's really no technical ceiling. There's a very firm trend in place with rising yields as you move out the curve. And at the very short end, what we're seeing is more of an anchoring related to the outlook for monetary policy. So. Right. Big part of the focus on yields is what we're seeing in longer dated uh, treasuries. And we're seeing this in Canada here as well, by the way. And you think about, like, I always go back to fundamentals and um, really rates will move up um, for two primary reasons. The first being strength in the economy. You know, that's the inflation trade, right? Higher um, inflation means going out the curve. Uh, we need to see higher interest rates. And generally people would say that's as long as it's not out of control inflation. If it's controlled inflation, that's that's generally good for equity markets. But when you see higher uh, government borrowing as the issue and that becomes more of a supply versus demand focus, mm. that's not so good for risk right. assets. And I would say that the long end is... Really being driven by uh, supply and demand, um, the you know the market has been a little bit shocked uh, recently or spooked by the ballooning federal deficit in the U.S., which is about one and a half trillion dollars, and that's up from less than a billion dollars uh, last year. So higher rates, higher interest rates, obviously make it more expensive to service this debt, meaning there's going to be more supply more issuance, et cetera. And so it looks to me based on the fact that we've seen such a spike um, over the last few weeks in yields with what is seemingly, you know, no ceiling in sight, uh, much more uh, related to a bit of a, a buyer strike and people saying, well, I don't I don't want to buy today because tomorrow it's going to be cheaper. Now that can change obviously really fast. Sure, We expect that from a technical, you know, buying and selling perspective, there will be a level where people will start to step in like they would do for any asset class that has uh, sold off and especially so quickly. And so yes, to answer your question, yields can keep going up, but we do think that there will be points along the way where people will step in to add to their uh, bond portfolio. And Recent action would say maybe that's right now because today is the first day in in a while that we've actually seen yields, uh, you know, spike up early in trading hours and then um, start to come down uh, throughout the day. So I do think that people are getting a lot more interested here and they're having the courage to step in to this uh, falling bond market.
0: That's great. Good context. And just for context, it's uh, October 4th that we're recording this. uh, If you're listening to a later date, I'm curious, it seems like it puts the central bankers in a bit of a quandary. Um, they famously don't comment on fiscal policy. Fiscal is what is really driving yields, the, especially the long end up. What do you think the central banks can do? Or what, what do you think uh, the reaction function is going to be?
1: Well, I think that the central banks are going to continue to have language related to a focus on uh, taming inflation. And so this is where there's a little bit of I don't know if it's confusion in the marketplace, but maybe concern is, is is a better word because you have central bankers going out there and still talking quite hawkishly right. around the need to continue to increase interest rates. Certainly central bankers in the Federal Reserve, that's not the case, by the way, um, in other parts of the world, like here in, in Canada so much. Um, although we did hear from our deputy minister yesterday uh, around, um, or sorry, deputy governor yesterday, saying that you know we may need to keep, Increasing interest rates if inflation doesn't uh, abate sort of thing. So there is some hawkish language out there. At the end of the day, sometimes, you know, even though the focus may not be fiscal policy, the focus is very much monetary policy for a central banker. At the end of the day, they have to take into account all of the data uh, that goes into the outlook. And part of that data is uh, what we're seeing in longer term uh, higher interest rates. And of course, we all know the impact that that has on several areas of the con- of the economy, most notable being housing. So, this type of behavior that we're seeing in the bond market is having the effect of tighter financial conditions. It's caused increased volatility, certainly um, as measured by the VIX, uh, and we have even started to see higher volatility in risk assets like. Equities. So all of this has to be taken into the calculus of the central bankers decision making when they're thinking about um, what to do next. Because when they talk about being data driven, most of that data is reported economic data, that's all backward looking. But of course, they don't want to find themselves going too far and putting uh, their respective economies into a deep recession, like they really just want to slow the economy. So they have to take into account in their decision-making around all the other factors that are happening in in the market. So I do think that what we've seen, the action we've seen in the bond market um, more recently over the last couple of weeks, and particularly since the last um, Federal Reserve policy setting meeting, um, will play an important role in what uh, central bankers do next. That's a very long way of saying the probability of a rate increase at the next meeting, you know we've got the Bank of Canada at the end of this month. I think is still very low. Uh, the Federal Reserve has its the probabilities have kind of moved between um, a one in four chance and a one in three chance, depending on the economic data that we're, we're seeing day to day. But I, I personally think that um, the probability is is quite low based on the action that we're seeing in the bond market that hmm. they will be concerned that that will have an impact on the economy.
0: Hmm. Very interesting. You referenced that uh, economic data being backward uh, looking and, and that feeding into to central banks. When you, when you turn your perspective to markets, um, it seems like as you started the episode with yields is really the big story. Does the economic data, is that still important or is, it, or is it just market action sentiment that's driving markets? So I don't want to dismiss
1: the importance of economic data. Certainly my golden rule in the short term is that sentiment really dominates um, market action. But in the longer term, things like economic data really contribute to the fundamental story. And We always go back to to fundamentals. And I know in this podcast, in our discussion, we're talking about the shorter term, but also um, thinking about, well, what does the future hold as well on a longer term basis, call it six to 12 months. So to say that the economic data is, is not important, again, I think not important in the shorter term. Right. Um, I know that seems like a bold statement, but in the longer term, it certainly becomes more important. So, for example, yesterday we saw the uh, JOLTS data, which is the job openings data in the US, and yield started to back off again or, or rise, sorry, I should say, um, on the basis of this data because it confirmed for people that the US economy is, is still strong, job openings were higher than expected. It was a good news is bad news story. And the market became very reactionary uh, on that over the short term. But I think the sober second thought really is it's one data point. It actually happens to be quite a volatile data point. We have seen in, in more recent uh, months uh, revisions downwards through the JOLTS data. So that data point really caused um, a jolt, if you will, in, in mm-hmm. yields, but but the sober second thought was, well, wait a minute here. Um, the Fed's going to have other data that they can look at, like for example, September CPI. They'll they'll have more data between now and then. And like today, we saw um, also uh, another uh, jobs report, the ADP data, and it was kind of weak, and right. the weakness, or, or I should say. The only jobs added were really in the um, hospitality and leisure sector, which wouldn't surprise anybody. Um, And there was actually weakness across things like professional and business services. So if you you bring multiple data points together, you can get a clearer picture than just isolating. And the market seems to be very short-term reactionary to isolated data. We as investors are thinking more about the bigger picture and triangulate multiple data points when it comes to economic data. And having um, an outlook, and certainly uh, central bankers will do the same.
0: Makes a lot of sense when you think about uh, higher for longer, and and uh, the Fed trying to slow down the economy. uh, Really, to my mind, at least, they're trying to impact consumer and consumer spending and and the cost of debt and those types of things. How is the consumer doing, given that the overall macro backdrop?
1: Well, I think the punchline is that the consumer is or consumer has been surprisingly resilient in the face of Higher interest rates. If I take the U.S. for example, we saw uh, consumer spending for August uh, recently, and those numbers were quite strong, even on an inflation-adjusted basis. They were they were still positive. In Canada, the, the data has been a little bit confusing because you have to really factor in the population growth, and consumer spending right. has actually been weaker once you take out um, the growth in, in population. So, on a per capita basis, if, if you will. So we've kind of had a bit of a diverging, diverging trends here. The consumer in the US is holding on longer in Canada, that's not so much the case. So the way you have to think about the consumer here is um, this is sort of a common sense approach to thinking about why is the consumer uh, holding on? And the consumer is a very important part of, of the economy, both in the US and Canada. But think about a consumer as sort of different buckets. Of, uh, of money, if, if you will, you know, short term pay the bills kind of money and then savings that may be for for trips or savings for bigger purchases, larger um, purchases like housing and things like that. The consumer has been able to draw down uh, their savings, um, certainly in in that sort of more in either the investing bucket or saving for for long term purchases in this latest period. And they, they accumulated that during the pandemic. So we're getting close to the end of that uh, running out. And, and I think that's been really funding the, the maintenance, uh, if you will, of the lifestyle uh, for the consumer in the right. face of higher interest rates and in the face of the fact that there's inflation that is just making most consumer uh, baskets, if you will, cost more. So uh, the data shows a resilient consumer. But again, that we think is is a look back view, looking into the future, what we're seeing in Canada, which is a little bit more evidence of a weaker consumer, we feel like we could start to see in the United States. It's just been a little bit early and it's certainly happening slower than we expected as a result of this whole dislocation of, of the norms coming out of the pandemic. And so Yes, the consumer has been strong, but we definitely have concern around the future. And, and, and you've seen some evidence of that in uh, lending our credit card delinquencies, auto loans, right. things, things like that. So very minimal signs, but nothing tangible just yet.
0: And if I can uh, follow up to that, so it sounds like when you're describing the consumer and much has been talked about the sensitivity of the Canadian to higher interest rates being uh, a little bit more sensitive than uh, the folks in the US. I'm curious if, if we do get this sort of higher for longer narrative out of the US and the Canadian consumer does deteriorate a little bit more quickly. Than the counterparts in the U.S. for various reasons, housing, and indebtedness, etc. Uh, what kind of pressure does that put on the Bank of Canada? And what does it look like for you know jobs and growth in Canada versus the U.S.? Mm-hmm.
1: So I think it's, it, it definitely puts on more pressure on the Bank of Canada, which is why the Bank of Canada moved earlier uh, mm. to go on the sidelines. Then the Canadian economy turned out to be a little more resilient than they thought, so they had to come back. Now they're on the sidelines again. So I think I, I would say generally I have a lot more conviction – around the Bank of Canada uh, staying on hold here and potentially being uh, done uh, in their tightening cycle than I would with the Federal Reserve. But that's not to say that I still don't think there's a very good chance that the Federal Reserve may also be done as well. And one of the things that I've been looking at really to get an indication um, to sort of check my own uh, fundamental views on this is the Canadian dollar. Mm-hmm. And the Canadian dollar, even in spite of the fact that oil prices have been fairly strong and people think of the Canadian dollar as a petrocurrency, currency, the Canadian dollar has uh, moved down about um, two cents uh, mm-hmm. in this latest big move in yields. And so that says to me that the view is that the Bank of Canada is even more likely to chart their own policy path. Uh, away from, from the US. So I think the outlook for the Bank of Canada, from our perspective, is a little clearer that um, we're most likely at the end of this uh, tightening cycle, despite any hawkish commentary we've heard more recently. And I think the Canadian dollar reinforces that view or the action in the Canadian dollar.
0: Perfect. Just recently, we had a uh, news break. Uh, I'm not sure if this is relevant to markets, but I love your, your view on it, but uh, that the uh, House Speaker uh, in the US, uh, McCarthy, is been removed from the job and they're currently speechless, I guess, or they have an interim speaker looking after uh, the chamber. This coming after the risk of the U.S. Uh, government shutting down effectively and finding a resolution. What should we take from this? Is it going to impact markets? Is there a challenge of a kick the can down the road uh, on this government shutdown or what, what is your view on this?
1: Yeah, I think kick the can down the road is (laughs) an expression that we're going to hear a lot of over the next uh, month and and a bit or the next six weeks or or so. I think how this really plays out into markets is a a couple of ways. Any event like this that is historical um, to this extent will create uncertainty. So again, that's Mm -hmm. just another contributor to higher volatility. Um, That's the first thing. More specifically, the fact that this is showing and evidencing uh, more dysfunction in in Washington has really increased the likelihood of a Moody's downgrade, which also will contribute to increasing the cost of future debt funding, which has been a factor I didn't mention and should have, but in the context of uh, yields moving higher in in the U.S. and and part of the reason why um, U.S. yields have moved higher than at at a faster pace than in Canada. As, as you mentioned um, in the kick the can down the road analogy, the, the current funding measures which um, helped to avert a, sh- a shutdown only gave the legislators until the middle of November, I think November 17th specifically, to come up with a longer-term agreement. So what that means is um, just right before the U.S. Thanksgiving holiday, there uh, the idea of a shutdown could very well be back on the table. So this is exactly why... Uh, Coming out of the weekend, we didn't have any relief rally in equities, which we would have expected to see normally. So we're right back to kind of where we started a a week ago with this uh, looming potential shutdown. And there just doesn't seem to be a united interest in resolving the funding shortfalls here uh, for the U.S. government. And so this is going to be really difficult going forward. So we will be talking about this again next month.
0: I'm sure. I'm sure. I, I suspect that until November, at least of next year, there'll be lots of U.S. election to, to talk about or U.S. politics to talk mm-hmm. about. When you, when you put on uh, and you look into your crystal ball uh, and you're looking for two months, how do you synthesize all of this through equity markets? Where do you think we're at it?
1: Well, the crystal ball is is very murky right now, <laughs> and um, not to say that it, you know it isn't all the time. But I think the real issue this year with with market action, particularly with equities, is that traditional relationships really broke down this year. And what I mean by that is the interest rate story well has become very acute more recently. It has certainly been the story, um, you know, throughout the the year and equities have kind of turned a blind eye to the behavior in the bond market. And what I mean by that is if you go back to October when um, markets hit their recent bottom, the story around that was that. The Federal Reserve or the Bank of Canada or every central bank was getting close to the end of its tightening cycle. And therefore, uh, that would be bullish for risk assets because all of the names, the equities that had been hardest hit by rising interest rates. Remember, 2022 was also a horrible year for uh, bonds yields really backed up that 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 would be, you know, getting to the end of that part of the cycle would be great for them. Well, where are we now? We're a year later, and interest rates are much higher than they mm-hmm. were at that point. And yet, equities, granted, it's been very concentrated. But in general, if you you know took a snapshot, July thirty first, it was a pretty phenomenal year. Granted, that was very concentrated and in, in select names. In, in the U.S., but but European equities were up, and and Japanese equities were up. So there were there were many markets around the world that were quite strong. Canada was much more modest, and so the thing or the catalyst that really got equities going turned out to not play out. Yet they still continued to um, move higher, and and the reason for that is is probably mostly related to the fact that the economy was performing better than people expected. Remember, mm. everyone entered the year saying we're going to have some measure of a slowdown, probably recession. And then we had um, the regional banking crisis in March. And right. then that really added to that narrative that, of course, we're going to have a recession without um, the regional banking sector participating in the lending economy, etc. So all of this was creating a lot of real legitimate fundamental concern for equities. But They seem to have skated through, um, despite the fact that we had a record pace in central bank interest rate increases globally. And so now where does that leave us now? Uh, I think we are faced with a little bit of catch up because as as equity performance departed from um, the bigger picture of fundamentals related to interest rates, now it's starting to converge and come together and act the way you would expect uh, equities to act, which is as yields go up, equity prices should have some headwinds and, and should fall. And, and we started to see that uh, fairly consistently over the last few weeks. And, and equity markets in general peaked around um, the end of uh, July. So there is a relative trade here when you look at the equity risk premium today versus yields. Those numbers are converging. They're very close. That was not the case Uh at the end of last year, and and unfortunately, um, that is certainly making risk free uh, bond investing look a little bit more attractive than investing in equities, where, as I said, the crystal ball is certainly less clear, and and the outlook is 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 a little bit murky. So, I think what we thought was going to happen in the beginning part of the year, we may have just been seven months too early, and we're starting to see that play out here. So little bit of trouble um, ahead for equities, but that's not to say that we don't get the, the end of the cycle come uh, more quickly. And that will set us up for, of course, um, a new, a fresh new economic cycle.
0: Leslie, very enlightening. I learned a lot during this episode. Thank you so much for coming on. I look forward to our next conversation.
1: Well, it was great to talk to you. It's been such a topical week. And um, for, you know, for myself being an equity person, uh, I've been spending a lot of time researching and understanding uh, what has been driving the bond market more than I think I have in my career. So (laughs) I'm learning things every day, too.
0: Well, thanks again for coming on. Thanks, Matt. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used. Or construed as investment advice, and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes, and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks uncertainties, and, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions